Together with American Songwriter, we had the opportunity to talk to Cindy Alexander over Zoom video. Cindy Alexander talks about where she was born and raised and how she got into music. She tells us about her entire journey in music, an incredible uh, story, a uh, very emotional conversation, actually, about um, her journey with breast cancer and how she's been such a huge ambassador for breastcancer.org. She talks about being on NBC's Star Tomorrow. I think she wins it. <laughs> she takes us through being nominated for Album of the Year from the LA Music Awards, getting signed to a record label, and her brand new song, Broken But Beloved. You can watch our interview with Cindy Alexander on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Bringing Back Pod. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're bringing it backwards with Cindy Alexander. Our podcast is about your journey in music and how you got to where you are now. And we'll talk about uh, the new single, Broken But Beloved, and uh, what you have going on currently. I thought it was your therapy session. Or that. I was all prepared, yeah. <laughs> well, so tell me about your problems. No, no, no. It's me. I'm your your therapist. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's my problems, not yours. Gosh. Totally, totally. <laughs> right on. Well, tell me about where you were born and raised. Uh, born and raised in Los Angeles. Okay. Uh, one of the few, right? Sure. Um, that stayed there. I, I actually I lived there my entire life until about six months ago when I moved up here to Big Sur. Oh, uh, but it's still California. Still California, but completely different from Los Angeles. Sure. I grew up in Southern California, and then I lived in San Francisco, well, the Bay Area, for about five years as well. So it's kind of familiar than- with the, yeah, the difference. <laughs> That's so cool. Are, are you in SoCal now? No, actually, my family and I just moved to Nashville uh, about mm, less than a month ago. If That's why you can see all these. All this stuff in my room currently. Yeah, it's yeah, <laughs> it's exactly. pretty packed in here. Um, yeah, so we li- like recently just moved out of California. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I, I was born and raised in LA. You know, grew up around the entertainment industry. Um, Were so, your parents involved? In- you know, it's, well, my dad was a lawyer. He represented a lot of entertainers. Um, oh, cool. But I just, you know, I just grew up around it. And so it, it was very natural for me not to suppress my innate desire to entertain because <laughs> there was always sure. opportunities, yeah. you know? Encouraged instead of discouraged. Exactly. I mean, I think, I think way back when my parents would have liked it had I grown up to be a doctor or a lawyer. Sure. You know, as in, you know, Every a lot of my parents, parents went in that but, <laughs> you know, it was useless. It was just, it was, it was in my blood, but my parents would say it skipped a generation. Okay. Because my grandmother on my dad's side was a music teacher. Oh, wow. And, yeah. And my grandmother on my mom's side was a dancer in vaudeville. So wow. it, it was around. Okay. Um, were they around when you were around? Because sometimes the, the you don't yes you know, kids don't well as a kid but... yes well my, my grandmother lived in michigan okay. uh but but she would come out a lot and play piano and i would sing and she introduced me to a love of instruments and music um and and my grandmother definitely I- encouraged me you know in theater and dance and all that stuff so okay did you learn yeah. piano as well at a at a young age I did. I started taking piano lessons when I was in first grade, oh, but I wow. got fired 
I got fired from my teacher. You got fired from a piano? (laughs) Were you not reading the music? Yeah, Um, I want to hear the story. Okay, well, we were doing classical music, and I liked to improvise. I I played by ear. And I thought, wouldn't it be great if it went like this? (laughs) You know? And she was one of those ones with the ruler, and she would, like, tap my fingers. No, no, no. Oh, my. I I didn't dig that, and I also I wasn't very good at practicing. Okay. Um, I really just wanted to play what I heard in my head. Sure. So my mom found another teacher who let me play pop music and songs that I'd been hearing on the radio. But again, you know, I would start I'd start by reading the music, but then I just kind of went off on my own. Okay. Um, so more so, of a songwriter than a uh, exactly somebody that covers music, so to speak. And I've always been that way. So people will say, oh, can you play this song by so-and-so? And I'm like, I, I really would have to sit down and learn it. Right. I really only know my own stuff. Uh-huh. Um, I've actually talked to a lot of artists like that. And I've and I've heard stories from artists that they went that route just because they didn't want to start learning a certain, like, I, I'm only going to play this way because that's who I really admire. And I learned all their songs, for example. Like, at least that way you're kind of, you know, creating your own sound at a very, very early start. Yes. And as a matter of fact, like I, I am not a technical player. Okay. But um, I had somebody who is a technical player say to me, no, Cindy, you need to play on this recording because I can't play like you. I don't know what you're doing. I'm like, well, I don't know what I'm doing either. I'm just moving <laughs> my hands. And if, if I had to teach somebody to do what I do, I couldn't do that. Okay. Sure, sure. Or you'll talk to people that play guitar like all weird. Like, oh, I just, you know, where'd you get that chord? I don't know. I did this with my fingers and it kind of happened. Exactly. (laughs) So sometimes, like, and I am, I am in no way, you know, uh, an educated guitar player. And I, but I learned guitar again by ear because at the time I didn't have a keyboard. And when I first started touring, like to, to lug around a piano was not a possibility. So I'm like, I better learn how to play my chords, just the chords, that's all I needed yeah. on guitar, you know? Okay. And then I learned about capos. I'm like, okay, I can know these like six chords and I can take a capo and I can play all my songs. Right, you oh, know? there you go. Yeah. So you, write, you wrote a bunch of songs on piano first and then you had to kind of translate it because you didn't... Well, I wrote on piano first. Okay. But then once I picked up a guitar, um... I think I, I write half and half now. Oh, but, sure. Okay. But the other thing that'll happen is that I might start on guitar uh-huh. and then, you know, I'll have my lyrics and my melody and then I'll move to the piano if I need more of a vocabulary. But sometimes, you know, it's better to work within a smaller vocabulary. It, it, all, it all depends. I mean, I write lyrics and melody together. So if my voice goes up, if I were to say something to you, my melody is going to go up. Got it. Okay. That kind of thing. So, so the chords I can embellish or change or, you know, for whatever mood I want, you know, add sevens, change the bass note, all this stuff after the fact. Got the it. The core of writing for me is lyric and melody. Okay. And were you always writing lyrics, like poems at an early you age? Know, I, I was, but I didn't realize that I was a songwriter. Okay. You know, I was just making up stuff. <laughs> and like, I remember like the first thing that I made up and then performed, I think I was in um, high school. Oh, wow. And it was, like, okay. for uh, a graduation ceremony. And 
someone's like, oh my God, you're a songwriter. I'm like, oh no, no, no. I just like make stuff up. And like, <laughs> I just no, no, make no. up songs. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're a songwriter. So, um, yeah, I was doing theater. I was, I was acting and doing theater. And then I just, I realized, I think after I graduated from college uh -huh. that it was a lot easier just to write my own show, write my life. I could play myself better than I could play anyone else. Mm -hmm. And there's no competition for the part of myself. Sure. Right, right. I like that. Well, yeah. when, when you started, so you started kind of, it kind of clicked as a songwriter when you were in high school, you said your senior year. Um, okay. It didn't No. Well, I started like my first song, I think I wrote my senior year in high school. Okay. But when I was in college, I went to USC. I was in the theater program there. There was a woman uh, named Michelle Browerman, and she mm -hmm. was the accompanist for the vocal classes at USC. And she, uh, she wrote, um, some amazing songs for some pretty famous, like cabaret type acts. Okay. Like, um, I'm trying to think of their names right now. And of course, I, I mean, I am, my children have like sucked my brains out of me lately. Uh, I get I, it. I've got, I've got kids too. <laughs> um, yeah, I have twins. Um, oh my. Okay, well, she, well. I know she wrote a lot of stuff with Amanda <laughs> McBroom, you know, Amanda McBroom who wrote The Rose, you know. Oh, sure. Okay. Um, and she wrote a song called My Favorite Year uh, with Karen Gottlieb who, that was like a big cabaret hit. Mm -hmm. Anyway, she was a songwriter and I, I don't even remember how it started, but I was working on something with her and I think I told her that I made stuff up and <laughs> she listened to it and she started like teaching me how to write a song like this is a hook you know oh. this is your a section this is your b section this is a bridge you you can do this mm -hmm. and she really encouraged me in college and it was just kind of a like a little hobby thing that i did on the side until i started doing demos for other people um oh you'd be you like know, the vocal i did the or, yes, yeah okay exactly. I, I did vocals for other people's songs and just for fun because Michelle was helping me get this kind of work. Um, she's like, let's do one of your songs on here. Wow. So I did it. And then somebody heard it and they're like, Hey, you're the songwriter. That's great. <laughs> yeah. So I would encourage, you know, like keep doing that, keep doing that. And I just, I fell in love with it. You know, like all of my training, you know, as, as a, you know, stage performer, um, just movement, vocals, mm -hmm. everything, it all just, it's like it was this big aha moment for me like this is what i do and this feels really good and really right and i just uh -huh. i never stopped and did you carry that through usc you said usc well it really wasn't until after sc oh, oh, i started okay. um that i started you know becoming a singer songwriter i i was trained you know i, I thought i was going to go do broadway right you know? right because you're uh, from musical theater yeah yeah um, but then I'm like, nope, nope, this is it. This is, this is what I do. So once that song that was, you know, your own thing on, on this demo kind of got around, what, mm -hmm. what, what happened next? Is this around the time that you, you put out a record called Sea red which okay, wins an album, you know, album of the year at the yeah, LA okay, music so, awards, which yeah, is like the pinnacle of city, <laughs> I'm sure music awards. We had um, ones in San Diego, which were total bogus. Not sorry to go on a tangent here, but it would be like 
San Diego Music Award for Album of the Year goes to Blink-182. And it's like, they're not going to show up here. You're not going <laughs> to, you know, it's like you're giving an award to a band that's, uh, you know, so much further ahead of everybody else, uh, these local bands. But anyway, sorry. But you won no. Album of the Year in Los Angeles, which is huge. You know, it's... <sighs> okay, well, let me let me tell you how we got to that point. Yeah, let's All get right. there. Sorry, let's sorry to skip there. ahead. <laughs> so, so, as I, so, so, you know, I start writing these songs and I'm, I'm starting to play uh, around town in Los Angeles, um, like at places like Genghis Cohen. Okay, um, sure. And in like my second show ever was at the Troubadour. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. It was amazing. And because I had you know, been born and raised in LA and my family and my friends, I had a great, you know, broad network of people that would come to my shows because I had been doing theater. So okay. I already kind of had a fan base. So they came and I, um, it was, it was very successful for me. Like my live shows and my scene, um, grew and grew and, you know, there were parties after and it was a, it was a social scene as well wow. as being music and entertainment. And, and I would bring in my friends bands and put together, um, these bills, uh, where we would do cross promotion and stuff. So I really built up something in the LA music scene. And then because I had done so well at the Troubadour, uh -huh. In nine, I mean, this is how I'm getting to the 1999 CD. Okay. In sure. 19, in 1998, I was asked to open for the Bacon brothers. That's Kevin Bacon and Michael Bacon's band. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. That's rad. So, so that was amazing. And I hit it off with those guys. Oh, I wow. I just loved them and had so much fun that night. And I was invited to go on tour with them. Wow. So I didn't have a CD yet. So okay. this is how we get to see red. I was like, oh gosh, I got a couple months to get to, to get something to sell on the road. Mm -hmm. And um, so I took all the demos that I had been making with, um, I call him my musical soulmate, Paul Trudeau. Okay. And Paul Trudeau lived in the apartment above me. And I met him because he was playing his music so loud. And I had a migraine and I had to go upstairs and tell him to turn it down. <laughs> oh, man. I and thought it was going to be the other way around. Like he comes downstairs and he's like, you're really good. <laughs> no, it wasn't that. I was like, this is horrible. I have a headache. Can you please stop? <laughs> um, <laughs> but we became we became friends. We started writing together and we had all these songs. Mm -hmm. And he had been working with a producer named David Darling. And Dave Darling had been working with he was in a band called Boxing Gandhi's, which was really big in the 90s. Okay. Like they won like Billboard Music Awards and all that wow. stuff. And he was also working with Meredith Brooks at the time, who was who was doing great. Mm -hmm. And so he bring he, he, since Paul was working with Meredith Brooks as well. Paul says, "Look, let me take these demos and let's bring them over to Dave Darling, and maybe he can remix them. And you know, we'll write a couple more. and We'll have a CD." So that's what we did. And Dave, Dave was my my very first like producer mm -hmm. and I worked with him many times over my career. We still write together to this day and amazing. Yeah. So that that was C Red. C Red was basically my demos, like sp spiffed up. Sure. And um we we went on tour and it was right at the beginning of Amazon.com and oh. and and selling selling music. And also it was 
mp3.com and Napster and MySpace. Oh, yeah. Right. It was like a digital revolution. Yeah. I had friends that worked at mp3.com and yeah, 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 Yahoo and all that. Yes. And the Yahoo groups were popping up and I had Uh my first fan club, my first Yahoo group, which was the peanut gallery. And today... My, my nickname is Peanut, P-N-U-T. I'm five foot two, I'm really tiny, and everyone gets shocked. They hear my voice and they're like, oh my God, I didn't know you were so little. <laughs> so anyway, so I, I was working all this and I wasn't fighting people stealing and bootlegging my music here and there because it was just giving me a broader audience. And here sure. I was touring and Amazon had this feature and they still do today, people who bought blah, 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 also oh, blah, also blah, blah. like, sure, right. sure. So I ended up being people who bought Chantal Cravaya Zook, who was, had one of the number one CDs on Amazon at the time, bought Cindy Alexander, people who buy Sarah McLaughlin by Cindy Alexander, people who buy uh-huh. Jewel by Cindy Alexander. So all of a sudden I'm showing up in Amazon and I have- in this re- algorithm now. Yes, and I have this great selling CD. So, wow. and, and, and I was getting, a lot of um, shares on Napster. And what I would do is I would go online and I'd get on Napster and I'd go, hey, so how'd you get that song Sick of Myself, which was on C-Red? And you know, they're like, oh, I heard it on MySpace and here it is on Napster, do you want it? You know, I'm like, oh, yeah. I have it. I'm Cindy Alexander. I wrote the song. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, you're not Cindy Alexander. She wouldn't have dial up. You know, so I was touring, you know, I was touring with the Bacon Brothers across the U.S. and I was touring virtually through the Internet. And basically uh-huh. that's what started my career, what helped me. Um, L.A. Music Awards, you know, took notice of me because I was outperforming. I had great, a great audience. And mm-hmm. Al Bowman, who was running it at the time, just, you know, um, fell in love with the music and and those those accolades are great and and they 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 help but i just want to say there are so many amazingly talented you know musicians in los angeles Mm -hmm. and while i while i appreciate it i i know that you know i'm lucky and i was in the you know in the right place at the right time when those people saw me and and you know but, but you have to have, but you have to have the skill and the talent. It's like right place at the right time, but you also have to be able to. You have you know, to perform. be prepared, right? Right. Yeah. If you're not prepared, if you're not ready for it, like the, you know, the biggest record executive ever could come up to come to your show at the Troubadour. But if you totally screwed it up, they're not, like, okay, well, there was your chance. I'm not, exactly. you know, you have to be ready. And, 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 and I also you proved yourself. And you have to be ready emotionally too like i i actually did get offers after that whole first um you know hurrah out there but uh-huh. it was also um i also had some like really you know major stuff going on with my family and i was i met i kind of met all the wrong people at the beginning of my career like as far as like industry types sure you know, i met i met the people that used their power and position you know, to, to try like, to take advantage of you. Yeah, to try to take advantage of young artists. And I um I I was locked in a sauna by mm-hmm. um a music executive who said, you know, come with me. Uh, this is the best stereo system where we can listen to your music. So there was a lot of things that happened um, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of made me step back. So, you know, my my career has, you know, it's it's been like this. 
you know, yeah. I had to step back for a long time and, mm -hmm. and then restart and sure. step back and restart and, and, you know, redefine what success is and what I was willing to do and not do. Okay. You know, while I, you know, and I did, and it, it, it was tough, you know, you, you watch people doing what you won't do and uh -huh. you, and you see what happens, you know? So I, I just, um, I'm really open about, about these things because I want, I mean, I have two, two daughters, uh -huh. you know, and I want them to know that, you know, some of these stories that you hear and these me too, um, stories, they're real and right. mom and, wow. um, yeah. So there's a song. The reason why I brought that up, because there's a song that just came out yesterday on YouTube. We've been releasing singles up until um, April 23rd when mm -hmm. my new record, While the Angel Sigh, comes out. My so son's fifth birthday, by the way. All right. Well, <laughs> what is his name? Sebastian. Be, oh, OK. So we, that's going to be a very special day. And I will remember that. Um, yeah, so Power of You is about that story I was just telling you about. Wow. Um, and it's, there's a bunch of videos on YouTube right now, and that, that's one of them. That's amazing. I mean, it's, was it kind of like freeing to, to write the song and get it off? Like, get it out um, there? You know, it's always freeing. I mean, I take a lot of the pain that I've gone through in life, uh -huh. and I, I channel it into music. And it is, it's very healing. It's great to let go of it you know, through music. And a lot of times, you know, songs, they might mean something to me that's right. so emotional and so poignant and I put it out there, but then it becomes, it means something different to somebody else mm -hmm. and it becomes a turning point for them. And in that way, you know, we're just, we're, we're taking our own healing and putting out there, putting it out there and hopefully it can do the same for somebody else someday. I love that. And I mean, not only that, I mean, you, you talked about going through a lot. I mean, you're, you, you had breast cancer at one point. Yeah, I mean, you had breast cancer and I did. To be that, being an advocate for that is, is so huge. And so, you know, empowering for, for young women and women that have had it. I mean, my grandmother on uh, my, my dad's mom died of breast cancer when I was like five years old, four or five years old. And mm -hmm. I can still remember, like, I don't really have memories of her, like other than photos of me, like with her, yeah. but I can still remember to this day what the getting my, you know, my, they're in Cleveland and we we're in San Diego. My dad was already there because the kind of new stuff was happening. And I can still remember the, like my mom answering the phone at like three or four in the morning and be, getting up and hearing it. And then being in our living room, you know, when we got the news that she had passed away and I can, I can have a vivid memory of that. And I don't have very many memories of when I was that young, but that's one that is always kind of stuck in my mind. Yeah. Yeah, you're you're making me tear up a little bit on oh, that. I'm sorry. You know, no, no, just those are things like those phone calls, you know, and in those moments, they are they're like they're indelible. And 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 I mean, I I remember distinctly the phone call of my doctor saying you have cancer, and yeah, I can't even. I, I wasn't that. not like I was surprised, you know. Like my mom had breast cancer, my dad had breast cancer. Oh um, wow. So I'm like going to tell you right now, Adam, that you have, it, it's, it's, if it's on your dad's side of the family, it still can get passed down and it, and men get it. Do get it. Yeah. Just it's just not as. Talk about it. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's been on the rise for the last 10 years. And every time I tell women, you know, your body, you've lived in it your whole life. 
Don't let anybody else tell you, you know, that something's not wrong. If something doesn't feel right to you, you go get it checked out. And men too, you guys should be feeling yourselves up. You know, you yeah. something, something's wrong, you go get it checked out. And you should also tell, you know, your doctors, your primary care, that you have, um, you know, breast cancer in your family. Yeah. Because the thing is, is that, you know, there's a small percentage of all the cases of breast cancer that are genetic. However, uh -huh. when it is genetic, you have like an 85% chance of developing it over your lifetime. Oh my goodness. And the, and, the, and the reason why it's gotten so high is because there's so much in our environment that affects our hormones, the things we put on our body, the things we eat, what we breathe. Mm -hmm. And your breasts have hormone receptors and they start to hoard it. And when you're putting these things on in around your body, if you have any predisposition, you know, to cancer, it, you know, it yeah. becomes more likely. So we just have to, we just have to be aware and just listen to your body. Is it just real quick on that note? Um, is it, is it more common if you're uh, on the, the father side of the family, if it, if it's there or does it not matter either way? It doesn't, it, it doesn't matter either way, but there's okay. a certain gene that's more predominant that gets handed down on the, from the father's side. Okay. Well, yeah. Cause I have a sister, but she, she's 11 years younger than me. So that's she, good to, good to, to know. Is, yeah. Genetic, genetic breast cancer tends to skip, um, and come 10 years earlier, five <sighs> to 10 years earlier. And it came, and that's exactly what happened to me. Oh my you gosh. Yeah. yeah. But obviously, I mean, they were able to catch it. I mean, early enough. Yes. Well, and... it was early enough because I pushed it. So oh. I, there's this thing, I mean, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll be really open with you about this stuff. I don't know. I appreciate know. it. No, there's this any is TMI on this, on this, um, there's no podcast. TMI. This is all about you and your journey in music. It's open. The, the It's an open forum for you to say whatever you want, really. Okay. And, and, and it's also your therapy session, Adam. So it is. I forgot me, about that. It yeah, if, you ever in the beginning. To, if you ever have to express yourself during this, please feel free. Um, so I had gone to uh, the gynecologist where they always, you know, they check women's boobs. Sure. And he's like, did you, do you know that you're a little asymmetrical? Like there's a lump on one side, but not on the other. And I'm like, yeah, it comes and goes, you know, when I, during right. the month. Okay. Sure. Um, I noticed it, but I said, but I can move it around. And usually when you can move something around, it's cystic. It's not a tumor. And he's Got like, it. yeah, he's like, but it's asymmetrical. And whenever there's asymmetry, you should get it checked out. So I want you to go see a breast specialist considering your family's history. I'm like, of course. So I get sent to a specialist and she does an ultrasound and she says, you know, it is asymmetrical, but I don't see anything in there. Um, nothing showing up on the ultrasound. So why don't we wait? Like, I don't want to wait. Right. That um, doesn't sound like the best right. plan. <laughs> she, <laughs> like, well, she goes, well, let's get you an MRI. Uh -huh. So I got an MRI and the, it came back questionable. Like, why don't we wait and come back in six months and check this again? I'm like, no, I am not going to wait. Right. And I got a second reading of the MRI from another doctor. Mm -hmm. And that doctor said, oh, no, this needs to be biopsied. You know, this mm -hmm. and this is a I, I forget the term. It's you get this thing it's at the bottom of your report. It says BIRADS and you get a number. Sure. And sure. the higher the, the number is, um, the more likely it is that it's breast cancer. My number was high. 
So I go back to the breast specialist. And I'm like, I need an, I need a biopsy. And she's like, well, I can't find anything on the ultrasound, so I can't biopsy it. So I did my research and I found a doctor who could biopsy me while I was in the MRI machine. Interesting. Yes. And it was coming up on the 4th of July weekend and I did not want to wait. Uh -huh. So I totally went rogue. I called this doctor and you know when it says like press one if you're a new patient, press two, right, right. press three if you're a doctor. I just press three. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I knew someone would pick up the phone and yeah, I'm, right. in I'm in tears. I get the doctor's assistant. I'm like, look, my mom had breast cancer. My dad had breast cancer. You know, I have an MRI that lit up. The, they can't find it on the um, in the ultrasound, ultrasound, but I know that this doctor can biopsy me in an MRI. Can you please, 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 please get me in? The person felt sorry for me, got me an appointment. Amazing. Um, I went in right before, I think July 3rd, and I didn't get uh, the results until after the holiday weekend. <sighs> And then, and then one extra day. And when that one extra day happened, I knew what the phone call was going to be because if they find something, they send it out uh -huh. to do uh, more pathology reports and get find out what kind of cancer it is. Is it estrogen receptor positive? Is it triple negative? All these things that, you know, I'm probably boring you with that kind of a detail. No, no, but, it's interesting. But considering that I had already become an advocate in that world, I knew the medical terminology. I knew what happened. I was already, um, you know, volunteering at at WeSpark, which was a cancer wellness center. I was, you know, in different like cancer coalitions and stuff for, you know, to support, you know, yeah, parents both your parents, knowledgeable, right? Yeah, right. sure. So I knew this stuff. Like I knew what was going on. So as I said, when I got that call, I knew what it was going to be. Oh my gosh! And I. I had a very aggressive cancer. However, at the time they caught it, it was still in the ducts. Okay. And which is like the best time to catch it before it breaks out. What happens is it grows and grows and grows, and then those ducts can burst and the cancer spreads. Spreads throughout the body. Right. So I caught it at the earliest possible stage, but it was very fast growing. Uh -huh. So I didn't know like how much time I had before it was gonna be, you know something called DCIS, mm -hmm. ductal carcinoma in situ or breakout. So I, you know, I used that the rogue thing that I did the first time to like get myself into the best surgeon and, you know, get that on the books. And I That's, did. You have to, you have to fight for it. I mean, these things, I mean, going off on something not as serious in that note, but I've, I've had three, surgeries on my neck within the past year and a half. Why? And What's going on? I have, I've had a two discectomies actually <laughs> at three o'clock today, I get another MRI. Speaking of which, um, they oh had to goodness. do like a one, they did one level that failed. So they had to do a double level fusion, which hasn't really, didn't really work. So they came through the back, did a laminectomy, laminectomy on my, the, mm -hmm. my C6, C7 vertebrae. And then that's still messed up. So it's, it's just been this whole thing. But once I had the first surgery done and it wasn't fusing, I knew something was wrong because I could start mm -hmm. feeling it. And I had a co cord compression where the disc hit my spinal cord mm -hmm. and 
my wife is like, we went to the ER, they contacted the surgeon and he's just kind of like, well, I have a dime in two weeks or whatever on the books. Like, I can't wait that long. I can't yeah. even move. So my wife's like, you need to go to the, the, at the time UCSD in San Diego, like go there. And they like admitted me into the hospital like that day and kind of got every, the ball rolling for me. Right. But if I wouldn't have got the second opinion, I would have been sitting. I mean, who knows what could have what kind of nerve damage it could have done at that exactly. point. Exactly. We are our own best advocates and you have, mm -hmm. no. So what did you do? Were you like a, a wrestler? How did you hurt your neck? No, <laughs> I don't know. We don't know. Honestly, it's like still, they don't know if it's genetic because now it's interesting because my mom is getting similar symptoms to what I had, but she's in her sixties. It's like degenerative disc or something. Yeah. It's like the spacing between my, um, my vertebrae is really narrow and like, I guess the bone that surrounds your spinal cord, mine is like super narrow. So if anything were to like it, it basically there's no wiggle room there. It's like, right. like if something minuscule happens with on somebody that might be like, Oh, I have a pinched nerve. Mine's like, Oh, it's compressing the whole spinal cord. Right. Yeah. So it's just been, it's been a whole thing. Um, but they, yeah, they, I still can't lift my left arm all the way up. Like I can do this with this arm, but this arm, I can't go over here just because mm -hmm. like, they think it's something to do with, you have two nerves that kind of come out of your, um, your, your, uh, your spine. I'm probably boring you now. No, but one of them is more of like a, is motor. And the other one's like more of the, like feeling on a nerve, like, because yeah. if it's like if you were a paraplegic, you can't move your body because of the it's a nerve. That's mean right. it's two pieces of a nerve. So they think that the, both the parts are messed up when they only thought one piece was messed up. So it's so it's you're going back today for another um, MRI. Yep. So we'll they find suck, out. Don't they MRI? Oh man, you're in this machine. It's like this close to your bang, face, bang, and it bang, goes bang, off. Bang. It's like so yeah, pounding it with like a baseball bat. It's just <laughs> like uh, yeah, so. I have that to look forward to, but anyway, sorry, we went off on some crazy tangent no, here, but <laughs> no, take, take, a, take like a CBD gummy or something before you go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Yeah, that's a smart yeah. idea. <laughs> chill out, chill out in that. In that yeah. Thing. <laughs> okay. Well, I want to give back to you and your story. I know that you are obviously a huge advocate for breast cancer and, and you were even a part of uh, something that went at Amoeba Records, right in Hollywood, with oh, that was uh, so Doctor Funk, yeah. and yeah, that that was you had that whole um... yeah. So Christy Funk is she actually she was not my surgeon. Mm -hmm. um, she actually was not available, but I did go to her um, group, mm -hmm. and um, it, one of her associates was was my surgeon. But I met uh, Dr. Funk, she took over my case when my doctor left the practice and she's, she's wonderful. And she put out a book, you uh -huh. know, about breast cancer awareness and things you can do to reduce your risk. And she had a book, uh, release party at Amoeba records, which was fantastic. And sure. I, I wrote a whole record, you know, through the beginning of my journey, you know, through the reconstruction process, it's called curve. Uh -huh. And, um, so I did some songs from that at Amoeba and that's just the best record store on the planet. And yeah. they just reopened. I know that's so amazing. Cause there were, they've been in kind of this in even pre COVID, they were kind of in yeah. a weird space with yeah. uh, being with, with location and, and, and the, the record industry, obviously where it is and everything else in between, but that's amazing. You were able to play there 
And I'm uh, so happy that it's coming back. Me too. No, I, I should say there, there, I have two favorites because there's also Music Millennium in, in, in Oregon. And okay, I've never been to there. They're, they're kind of, it's kind of their version of Amoeba. It's a little smaller, but same like uh, just independent spirit and, you know, putting out the music that they want to put out and just people that love music that work there and it's their passion and sure. they have a stage. So I love, I love playing those stores. Yeah. I think it's so cool. And, and a lot of like really, really big artists will do those like in-store yeah. sessions, which I think are so fantastic, but uh, yeah, it's awesome that people are still supporting the local record industry, which is awesome. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's, music and musicians and artists are i think so much a, a a bulk of the people that will go there as well as the music fan mm -hmm, you know sure it's, you get a lot of creative you know they're not just musicians or filmmakers or whatever i mean at least in the la store right just, right you know you you just a respect for the craft and of, of art uh -huh. and it's not you know when you are an artist you just you have to do what you do. You don't have a choice. It's uh -huh. not about the money. You know, right. you love what you do and you know that about other artists and and it's you want to support that, you know? I love that. Yeah, totally totally. Yeah, you guys have a you feel each other. It's like, "Okay, I know what you've you're you're on the same like almost wavelength. Like I yeah. I understand what you've been trying to do your whole life or what you've been working for. Mm -hmm. I've personally been doing the same and and we're kind of in this journey so, like together simultaneously, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, your podcast is, I mean, I, I went back and and I've been watching it. It's fantastic. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I really I appreciate it, that. And I love that it's a husband and wife endeavor. And um, <laughs> thank you. you it's been a bit difficult during, I, if you watch the <laughs> earlier episodes, my wife and I are both in it together, but recently it's been difficult because of everything, the COVID situation and, we have a four-year-old and he's here all the time and or yeah. most of the time. And it's like, yeah, it's just been. <laughs> you know, that's, that's the pandemic though. I mean, this is, this is the year that we've had. And I can't, this is the first interview that I've done that my children have not walked in on or the cat hasn't jumped on the computer. <laughs> um, Which is totally fine with me. Cause I love those moments to be honest. It's like, yeah. this is real life. This is happening. Yeah, no, we talk long enough. I promise you someone's going to come in and want a snack. <laughs> Just, just I love it. I love it. I don't know. Like, so I'm just curious because you won this NBC's star tomorrow. Mm -hmm. um, is was that like talk? If, I don't even know if you want to talk about that. Is that something that was a big part of your career? <sighs> Did you enjoy it? Or if not, we can just skip right over it. <laughs> uh, um, it was. No, it was it was an important part, you know, of, of my career in that it was so eye opening on so many levels, you know, mm -hmm. um, it was at a point, what was that, 2006, I think. That's I think um, so, too. So this is yeah. pretty curve record and everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was at a time where, you know, television record labels everybody was moving towards the using the internet to sell to interact they were trying to like like all right everybody's doing it let's mm -hmm. let's get it on it and let's see if we can monetize it and 
Sure. Let's find the people that are already doing it and let's see if we can like jump on there. Yeah, well, right. And you were already doing it, obviously, exactly. with that first record. Okay. So I get this email that says, you know, we would love to have you as part of this new show. It's NBC and David Foster. And it's going to be kind of like American Idol, but you get to do your own music. I was like, ah. Well, that's kind of cool. That's cool. Yeah. Um, all right. So that's what got me interested in it. Um, and so I went, you know, to the audition. And of course, you know, the auditions are part of the show, as sure. they are in all of these. And they um, have to give the sob story. I don't know how they did it in this one. Yeah, but obviously... no, it was, so mine was, you know, we really like you, but we don't want your band. You know, they want, and, and your uh, band is right next to you. Of course. Yeah. And, yeah. and they're like, you know, and they're like, so how do you feel about that? You know, <laughs> how do you feel about us <laughs> kicking your band off guys? And you're like, gals, uh, you know, and, <laughs> oh. and this is after they'd already like interviewed. How long have you known these people and how much sure. I love them, you know? So, you know, there's so much manipulation, you know? Right. right. And, um, so it was, it, it was not an easy experience. It was very stressful. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm sure I made some, some new fans through it, but I think that what ultimately it did for me is it took my existing fan base and it really, really rallied them because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, I did not accept the prize. Didn't you win it? I won it. <laughs> and then you didn't, what was the prize? Like a, a deal or something? It was a record deal. If, okay. Yeah. That I, and I'm not allowed to tell you what exactly it was. Sure. Um, for, you know, things, yeah. but gotcha. let's just say that I would rather have stayed on my own, Really, but I did. Well, and that started me like really, you know, I had already been fan funding my records like way before Kickstarter, you know, okay. I'd already been doing that. So oh, this time, I didn't realize they, that. That's amazing. Yeah. So they really got behind me and, you know, and then I made the next record with them and it, I just, I wasn't ready to give up everything that mm -hmm. I'd worked for sure. and hand, hand over, you know, my body of work and not, you know, to a company that may never do anything with it. And then I can never, you know, that's my, my legacy. Yeah, know? exactly. They could just take it and go, oh, well, you know, you were, you had this buzz for a minute, but you know, what happened, you know, they yeah, can always just shelve yeah. you. They can do whatever they want. At right. So I wanted to, I, I, that was, so that was like the big, and the other thing was that I was ready. I was just about to get, I would been engaged okay, about to get married and I knew I wanted to start a family and contractually there were things that would have not allowed me right. to start a family right away. Makes so, sense. and that was another thing. I was just like, I'm, I'm too old for this. You know, I just, you know, like, too but you're like, well, I won. I mean, that's, isn't that at the end of the day, you're like, I won. Okay. Well, I won. I won. Yeah, that's okay. pretty rad. But, right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there were some, there were some lovely people involved. Um, I made some friends through the show. Um, it wasn't all bad, you know, sure. um, but it just wasn't, it wasn't at the end of the day, it just, the prize was not for me. Right. So, yeah. So that was like just another one of those. There was like, there were events there were things that happened like you know 
going on tour with the Bacon Brothers, start tomorrow. Um, there was a show that I did with Janie Lane from Warrant. Um, okay. You know, around 2005. Um, that also like really built up my fan base because he did a show on KLOS, which had the Mark yeah. and Brian show. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. You know, they're, like huge, they're still a huge station, right? They're I mean, huge. LA. And the Mark and Brian show was syndicated just all over the U.S. And mm -hmm. after I did the show with Janie, I was playing keyboards for him and singing backup. They invited me on um, to do my own interview and play live. Wow, my own that's song. awesome. Oh, amazing. And that just really also gave me a huge boost. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, there are these things and these um, catalysts that put, you know, little milestones, motion kinda. and, you know, lift yeah. you up. And those those were definitely some of them. But I just kept going and kept building that fan base and kept opening up for other major artists. And, you know, when when I'm at a civic center, you know, playing for thousands of people as an opening act, I just get up there for half an hour. But I owned all my own records mm -hmm. and I would go sit out in the lobby and sign yeah. records until the last person was standing in line and chatting with everybody. And my, I've always just loved connecting with people. And I love those conversations. And I love getting to know people and getting to know the locals in the areas that I'm touring and exploring. It's, it's music is just the key to my adventure. It's all about adventure and, and yeah. learning and growing. And, you know, in order to write music, you have to constantly um, put new stuff and in, in your life, you know, you have to, you're not just inspired sitting in a room by yourself, you got to get out, you mm -hmm. know, meet people, get into nature, you know, um, read books, expose yourself. And I just, um, I love that part. I love, I love the adventure. I love that because my, this is going to go into my next question here for you because you, you put out I mean, the curve was kind of you get signed to a different label at that point. You you yeah. go through all of, you know, all of this breast cancer, everything else. Um, and like you just said, you know, it's all about touring, getting in front of people, meeting your fans, signing records in the in the lobby. Mm -hmm. Now, where where were you at when this whole coronavirus hit? Were you like like you're uh, you're yeah, so used yeah. to this album tour album tour yep you have you know you have this frame of mind of or not frame of mind but like really like that's what you've been doing right yeah. and then now it's we're all stuck inside were you on tour when this started and how does that kind of roll into this new record and then in the new songs okay. that you got putting right. out well i i was planning a tour okay i was planning a tour because in 2019, um, towards the end, it had taken me two years to get the material together for this one because the label was very like particular about mm -hmm. songs. And we have um, a mutual, we have to mutually agree on what's going on the record. So even if I wanted a song, they have to agree with me. Well, if sure. Yeah. Song, That's kind of how it is, them. right? They, yeah. they can you present them with here's 15 songs or 20 songs and then they're going to go, we like these 10 for the record or. Exactly. We, right. Yeah, sure. Okay. So my executive producer is Kirk Passage who founded the label with his son, Connor. I was the first artist on the record with curve. Wow. Uh, on the label with curve. Yeah. And that's a good story too. I'll tell you. Um, but so this was, this was a long time in the making and I had finally, after going, trying to get different producers and dealing with budget constraints and schedule issues, I finally um, 
get this dream band together. Mm-hmm. And I have like the best rhythm section ever in the world to produce it. Okay. I've got Sean Hurley and Vic and Drizzo. And you've heard Sean Hurley. He was the bass player for Vertical Horizon, also a songwriter. Okay. You know, a writer on everything you want, you know, that song. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he had been working with um, Alanis Morissette and Casey Musgraves and wow. Lay and John Mayer. And <laughs> basically, you know, I was told by a producer, if you can get Sean Hurley on your record, doesn't matter who produces it, it's going to be great. So sure. I'm like, okay, then I'm just going to get Sean Hurley to produce it. <laughs> <laughs> you know? so yeah, that'll help <laughs> yeah and his partner is Vic and Drizzo you know uh just amazing drummer same thing you know uh Chris Cornell and Lizzo and uh-huh. um Alanis and just just incredible and they brought in Dave Levita um to play uh guitar um Lana Del Rey and oh Joe really Powell. oh um, wow and Mike Farrell from also from Alanis's band who uh-huh. turns out was my very first keyboard player Mike Farrell from when I first started. And they're like, we should bring in Mike Farrell. I'm like, Mike Farrell? And they're like, do you know what he's been up to? I'm like, no. I really, <laughs> it was just, that was great. That's crazy. So I got this amazing band together. We go into the studio at Sage and Sound in 2019, recorded the tracks for, we recorded the, the music for eight tracks. I hadn't done my vocals yet because I was sick at the time. I'd been touring constantly. And mm-hmm. as always, you know, you get on a plane and you catch whatever is yeah. going around the plane, especially sure. when you're exhausted. So I couldn't do my vocals at that point. And I was going to start doing them uh, early, after the holidays, you know, okay. in 2020. So around the time that I finally get um, Zach Darling, who was going to produce the vocals for me, um, who's Dave Darling, my first, my first producer. It's his nephew. Oh, Zach. wow. Full yeah. circle again. Wow, circle. that's cool. So Zach's producing my vocals in my home studio or his home studio. Um, and I'm also working with Ross Hogarth on Broken But Beloved, which is probably the single that you heard about. Yes. And um, so and Ross, uh, Ross is phenomenal. He's a Grammy Award winning you know, producer and engineer. And it was a bucket list thing for me, too, to be able to work with him. So here I've got all this stuff going on. And then we start hearing this stuff about COVID. But I had also been traveling again, touring, and I got sick Uh-oh. again. And this time it had affected my lungs so bad. I go to a pulmonary specialist and he's like, I don't know what's wrong with you. You got some weird virus. And, you know, I, I tested you for mono. I tested you for this and that. He's like, I don't know what this is, but here's a home nebulizer, you know, here's all this oh, stuff. They wow. put me on steroids, all this stuff. It took me forever to get better. And then my doctor got it. And then, you know, we start hearing more and more about this virus that's going around, but, you know, everyone's like, oh no, it hasn't, it didn't come to the U.S. until whatever it was, March. Right. Like, I don't know about this. Um, finally, you know, I'm, I'm better towards the end of March. I start recording the vocals. The world shuts down. I still have more tracks to finish. So we're, you know, we're doing overdubs and stuff. I'm sending stuff to Sean. Sean's sending stuff to Dave and to Vic. And we're like putting things around home studios. Ross is working with Greg Saran from the Goo Goo Dolls from his home studio. Oh, wow. um, I got Brian McLeod from Tuesday Night Music Club playing some. I mean, so I mean, here I am. I'm like, I'm like I got the best people ever. I've always believed that 
you surround yourself with people that are better than you. Yeah. And in this case, like I really like, <laughs> leveled up here. Sure. And um, had Lauren Gold playing uh, on Broken But Beloved. He's the the keyboard player for the Who. Um, <laughs> and then Michael Bacon from the Bacon Brothers. He he did cello for me. Oh, awesome! So literally, like everybody's contributing from their home studios and passing these tracks around and. That's and Zach, awesome. Zach and I can no longer be in the same room. So he's like, I, I'll record something at home. My husband's engineering it for me. We send it to Zach. Zach gives me direction. I go back and do it again. And it was just this very long, arduous process. But, you know, it kept my mind off, you know, something that was going on this whole time, which I haven't expressed to you yet. And that is my mother was dying. Oh my gosh. Um, for the last, uh, you know, it was for five years, she um, had dementia. She had Lewy body disease, which is what Robin Williams had. Oh, okay. Very just cruel, cruel form of dementia because you know you have it. It's like you're trapped inside a brain. That oh, wow. And she also had posterior cortical atrophy, which is a very rare form of Alzheimer's, um, where you it starts in the back of the brain instead of the front, and she went oh. blind not because her eyes didn't work, but because the brain couldn't process the images. So slowly she was losing all of her senses. She, she couldn't see, she couldn't speak, she couldn't hear. I mean, it was just this, plus she was hallucinating and thinking she was being attacked and all this stuff. Oh so my gosh. I'm taking care of my mom, going back and forth from Los Angeles to Palm Desert to take care of her. Um, my poor, my dad had, you know, had a caretaker to help him. Mm -hmm. um, but this is my mom. I mean, she and I, this is my best friend, you know? Sure. Um, so I'm homeschooling my kids because I had taken, I took them out before the world closed down. So did I, we. You know, I knew this was coming. I'd already been sick and I'm like, uh -huh. no. That's interesting because we did the same thing. We pulled our, our, we, our older child, uh, yeah. our other kid out of school before. Before close, right? Like, yeah, I mean, yeah. like months, well, yeah, a couple yeah. months prior. Yeah, I think I did a month before. And I just, um, so I'm teaching them. I'm going back and forth to Palm Desert. Then I'll like drop everything and go into the studio and record. And I, it was so interesting. I mean, I, I've never been so passionate about a body of work than I am about this new record. There were songs on there that were so freaking important to me. Mm -hmm. Um. You know, look, every song that I write is, is a child, is a creative child, you know, that it's created from nothing, you know, it's birthed and you put it out and it's going to grow up on its own and be mothered and fathered by other people who, sure. you know, bring it into their lives. But there are certain things about this record and about these songs that I fought for uh -huh. and I wanted them out there and I fought to make it the way I wanted to make it. And ultimately, I am so grateful to Blue Alon Records for letting me put this record out, do it the way I wanted to do it, you know, without being censored, without being silenced. Like, no, mm -hmm. you believe in this, you go do it, go do it. And, I love that. Yeah. And so I am forever indebted mm -hmm. to them for letting me do this. Um, so, yeah, it was just a really, really tough time, a really tough year. My mom passed away on May 26th. I'm sorry. Um, that's yeah, that's... coming up on a year now, and it's just so weird because it's a year and like. Was I don't I don't know if you feel uh, comfortable answering this question, but I'm just curious. Like, was it a certain? Was it a situation because COVID had been a thing at this point that they wouldn't let like 
you or your father like around the situation okay. or I broke I well no she was home the entire time oh okay and I broke quarantine I mean mm-hmm. like like I went on I mean I remember we were so scared like you know to, especially at the beginning to be around anybody and I brought like yeah cloth suits and the mask sure, like and full like, hazmat you know like nobody knows <laughs> yeah and I went and I was so afraid that I would scare her because she was already couldn't see well and her scent you know but yeah she's like who's um, I this remember like, hazmat person coming she was, in at she's me. in a wheelchair you know and I have the nurse wheel her into the um garage with the garage open so there was fresh air uh-huh. and I'm in hazmat and I I, I visited her on her birthday, which is April 15th. And, you know, brought her an In-N-Out burger, you know, her favorite, you know. That's awesome. Cut it into teeny tiny pieces because she was having a hard time swallowing. Mm-hmm. And brought, I brought the kids and, and you know, and hus- my husband, Chip, and we all sat in the garage and I just, oh my God. I mean, like these like last moments that I have with my mom are like, you know, just marred by this pandemic, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on did the same thing, you know, Mother's Day got down there. Um, and then, you know, when I knew she was in hospice and I knew this was the end, I'm like, mm-hmm. screw it. I went down there. Yeah. Off, and I, I just would too. crawled in bed with her and yeah. laid with her, talked to her, held her. You know, and the thing is, remember I told I told you, like her awareness was intact. She knew there was a pandemic. She knew something was wrong and she was afraid. She didn't want me to get sick. And she's like, you shouldn't be here. You can't be here. You know, oh, I, I don't, okay. this is dangerous. And I'm like, no, no. Yeah. No. I would I do remember, the same I remember thing. a friend saying to me, she's, you know, my mom's best friend. And she's like, your mom's not dying to kill you. You know, <laughs> go be with her. And right. I did. And it was a very, very special time. And it was an honor to be with her, uh-huh. to hold her as she took her last breath, to be there and to witness something that I always believed in, which is that the soul is just in a container. These are just our containers, you know, sure. um, I, I like my container. I'm happy. You know, it gave uh-huh. me, it gives me my voice. Um, it gives me, you know, this, this tool to be able to express myself and what my spirit has to say and share with the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew, you know, when she passed and I, you know, to look at that container and go, okay, mama, that container no longer served her, you know, and I, and I know, I know she's in a better place. I still feel her around me since the day she has passed. She's left me feathers and like literally just be, I'll be walking in a feather. We'll just, wow. And when I, when, when we moved here, when we came to look at this house that I'm living in now, there was a feather on the doormat right in front of the, the door. Whoa. Talk yeah. about a Yeah. A sign. Yeah. That's so amazing. I'm, and you I'm know? so happy that you're able to have those moments with her. Cause I, I mean, you hear so many stories recently, you know, about family members being locked in these, ho- in, in these hospitals yeah. and, you know, really glass happy. and you can't get in. And I'm thinking to myself, like I'd, kick that door down and like you put me in handcuffs. I'm still running up those stairs, you yeah. know, regardless of a pandemic or whatever. Cause I mean, I love, it's just, yeah, I, our parents, I really feel our parents, for you. Yeah. Our parents bring us into this world and it's an honor for us to lead them out, mm-hmm. you know, to be there. So yeah, I mean, it was a tremendous, tremendous loss. All of that, you know, considering that, 
all of the vocals were basically recorded during a pandemic. All of that, you know, is infused into the music, Mm -hmm. you know, and you write a song and it means something to you on the day you wrote it. Right. And as time goes by and as you sing it again and again and again in different circumstances, it takes on new meaning Mm -hmm. and it continues to. So I just knowing where these songs came from, um, I know that it will continue to to change for me. I love and, that. Yeah. And well, I'm I, I'm so happy that you were able to to fight for this record and get everything that you wanted on it, especially in 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 this time and 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 what you wanted to express at this time. And mm-hmm. that's just it's amazing that the label is able to work with you and just say, you know what, we believe in you. Put it out. I love the songs that I have heard. I can't wait to, is the rest of the record coming out? Oh, you said on September, yeah, or on, October, on April 23rd. Yeah, but you know what, Adam, I'm, I, I'll send you the whole record. I, if you don't have, if you only have the singles, I'll send you the whole record. Well, thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. I would love to hear it. Um, like I said, yeah, now, now I remember it's on my my son's fifth birthday. <laughs> we talked about this in the beginning. Uh, but thank you so much for, for doing this. And this has been such an incredible conversation. Thank you for being so vulnerable and, and telling me and talking to us about all and all this stuff that is that has happened to you throughout the course of your career. I really appreciate it. I want Thanks. To- well, that's what I mean. That's what where art comes from. It comes. It's, well, for me, at least it comes from the most vulnerable, you know, deepest part. That's that's what we do when we create. You know, you don't create from your skin, you know, sure you create from in here. So I love that. I have one more thought question for you before. Yeah. I let you go today, Cindy, and I appreciate the, the amount of time you hung and, and spent with me. Um, I want to know if you have any advice for aspiring artists. Just do it. Just ke- do and it. keep doing it and know that, you know, we learn also from what doesn't work. So sometimes you have to write song A, B, C, and D to get to the next one that's going to that's gonna click. And also don't um, don't edit yourself right away when you're writing like you have to you have to kind of work through the cobwebs and in order to work through that you have to basically write everything um there is a great book out there called the artist's way by julia cameron Mm -hmm. and she recommends that you do something called morning pages so in the morning you wake up and you just write stream of consciousness you don't don't edit yourself you just keep writing because that kind of breaks through you know um and gets rid of the, as we said, the cobwebs, and then you get to the, the the nuggets, and you might go back and look at those stream of consciousness, you know, entries that you did in your morning pages, and go, oh my god, there's a lyric. I'm gonna take that now. I'm gonna take that and expand. Mm-hmm. Um, and just always have, you know, uh, you know, your iPhone recorder, um, sketch pad. I, I like I like things that aren't through technology. I like picking up a pencil or a pen and writing because that uses a different part of your brain. Yes. Um, and I just keep like write, paint, you know, whatever you need to do, you have to exercise that creative muscle, um, you know, use it or lose it, you know?